You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, please turn them to James chapter 2. Be in James chapter 2 in just a moment, and there is some irony to the text that we are opening to tonight. As you know, the leadership of this church is committed to expositional preaching, that is preaching of the Word of God in its context. And the way that we generally do that is we choose a book and then work our way through that book, one text at a time, one verse at a time. And the goal is to preach the Word of God in its context. And so there, there is a way of preaching that actually doesn't do justice to the context of the Bible. There is a way of preaching where you pick one topic and then you use verses from here and here and here and here and you put together a message that overall seems like a good message, but it's just not found anywhere like that in the Bible. And, and so that's the kind of preaching that, that we don't really tend toward. Um, the goal of our church is to use expositional preaching where we're going to the text and seeing what is the message of this text. And let's teach our people the message of this text and let's apply to our context, what Paul or James or the writers of the New Testament was writing to their people in their context. I didn't have any kind of grand plan where I started the book of James in May of this year, and I knew that as we came toward Reformation Day, and just a few days away, that I would be in James chapter 2. The reason that James chapter 2 is ironic is because if you, if you know the goal of the Reformation. Right? The goal of the Reformation was to teach that, that salvation was found in Christ alone, by faith alone, um, in gra- through grace alone, to the glory of God alone, and that the authority for all of this, the authority for all teaching and belief, was Scripture alone. So those are the five solas of the Reformation, and, and those things were essential to all those who were lifting the Reformation flag. They were standing up against the Roman Catholic Church who did not believe in those things. They certainly believed in faith and Christ and grace and the glory of God and in Scripture, but they did not believe in those things alone. They did not believe that they were the only thing required for salvation. They did not believe they were the only authority. And it's incredibly important that the Reformers stood up and said, this is what we believe and we're willing to die for it. Martin Luther nailed the, the 95 Thesis to the doors of the church of Wittenberg, Germany. And that was 500 years ago, coming up in just a couple days. And what he stood for was all of these solas. One thing he didn't like was the book of James. He actually took the book of James and tore it out of his Bible. Later on, he put it back in his Bible, and he actually, at the end of his life, said that, said that it was a good book. But there was a time that he actually questioned whether the book of James should be in the Bible. The reason for this is because he thought that the book of James taught salvation by works, or at least it it didn't make it clear that salvation was by faith alone, through grace alone, through the glory of God alone. And so what he did is he ignored James for most of his ministry. And the text that he was referring to that is most difficult is James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And so right before the Reformation, these are the verses that we're going to be studying this evening. <laughs> and so I'm excited about that. I, I have to say that I'm, 
I'm really excited about this text. I think that what James teaches here is, is phenomenal. It's, it's helpful. It's practical. And it goes right along with what Paul taught about salvation as well. And so hopefully tonight we'll walk away understanding how all of this works. We said last week that there is a big danger in a text like this. Because if we get the text like this wrong, then either salvation is not by faith alone. And we've got that wrong. Or James doesn't belong in the Bible. And so we better not get this wrong. And so let's look at James. We'll start reading in James chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 14. This is from last week. We read verse 14 to 17, but I think it'll be helpful to get the context that James is writing. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, you do not give them those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Here, James asks a number of questions to lead his readers to this essential truth. That a claim to faith, apart from any evidence of faith, is not a saving faith making that abundantly clear. There are people who trust in words they said in a prayer, but have never truly trusted in Christ as their Savior. And it's important not just to trust in those words, but to be trusting in Christ. How do we know if we're trusting in Christ? Well, we have to look at the evidence. Is there evidence of a saving faith? If there is no evidence of life, there is no life. No works demonstrate that our faith is dead, and our works do not save us, but they demonstrate the vitality of our faith. So now James turns his attention straight for the heart of the religious person, the heart of the religious Jew, but I think all religions everywhere, this is important for them to hear. He says in verse 18, Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy, thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So here's the scenario. Someone comes in, and they are claiming that they have works and that he has faith. And, and what James wants to do is he wants to make it crystal clear using this scenario and the way that he answers this scenario that a claim to faith is not saving faith. And so this is actually a continuation of verse 14. And, and it's essential that we get what he's, when he's referring to faith, we, we tend to think when we read James chapter 2, that every time he says the word faith, he means what we mean when we say faith. When we say faith, we're talking about a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But he's already defined faith for us a couple times, the faith that he's talking about, as a claim to faith that is not backed up by any evidence. And so now he goes on and he talks about faith, but he's not talking about a real um, transformative faith. He's talking about a faith that is just words. It's just just a, a mental assent to something, but it's not something that has truly been accepted and, and believed in and, and trusted because that kind of faith does change you. And so he says, you say, have faith and I have works. And what he's saying here is this, it seems like this person thinks that their claim 
to works is better than his claim to faith, or their claim to faith is better than his claim to works. What he challenges this person to do is he says, listen, if you say that you have faith, right, that's your claim, I want you to show me your faith. I want to see it. But you have to do it without any works. Then he says, now you look at me and you say you have works, but I want you to know what I'm doing. I am showing you my faith by my works. What he's saying is, I'm not trusting in my works, but my works are necessary evidences of my faith. So the faith that I have is being demonstrated by my works. That's why you see my works. Now I want you to take your faith and show it to me, but you're not allowed to use works. Okay? And, and what he's doing is he's making it really impossible to say, well, no, really, I do have faith. How can you really say you have faith if there's no works? If you're not allowed to use works as an evidence, then you have no way of demonstrating faith. All you keep doing is say, but I, I believe this. Yeah, but show me. But, but I, you know, it's written down here in my Bible. Well, show me. Like, show me in your life the difference. And if you can't show me the difference then it's not there. Then it's not real. So we need to get his argument clear. On one hand, a faith claim with no works. On the other hand, works that demonstrate true faith. Both claim faith. One claims faith without works and one with works that demonstrates their faith. It completes their faith. And so what James is basically saying He's saying, stop telling me about your faith and show me. So we can imagine a response to this. We can imagine that a person might stand back and be upset with James and say, how dare you say that? I believe that there is one God. And it's almost like James hears this response, and in verse 19, he answers the response. He says, You believe that there is one God, and thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. He says, (laughs) you've started right. I mean, you're on the right path. You're doing well that you believe that there is one God. But recognize this, that demons also believe that there is one God. They tremble. That's terrifying to them, that there is one God. This is the basic belief of every Jew. It is the a prayer called the Shema. That's a Jewish prayer that many Jews say daily. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's how they would start their prayer every day. And so he's saying, you start your prayer with the Lord is and the Lord is one. And that's great. I'm glad you've started there. But that is far from enough. Basically, at this point, you've put yourself at the same level as a demon. You believe as much about God as a demon does. So let's see what he continues to say is necessary. In verse number 20, he says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? He says, there's something else you need to know. And it's, it's, I've never seen this before, but it struck me this week that when he says it, he's not, he's not saying it in a really kind way. He says, Do I have to prove this to you again? Do I have to prove to you, you foolish, feeble, empty, vain man? That's that's, that's what the word means here. Do I have to prove, are you so feeble, so foolish, 
that I have to prove this to you? I feel like it's obvious that faith without works is dead. And it almost seems, when I read this, like James is reliving a conversation that he's had many times in the past. That he's used to debating these Jews who are calling themselves Christians but have no evidence of this. And this is a massive problem for Jews. And so what what I want to do is I want us to understand that one of the greatest fears of the Christian is that other people will believe that they need their works to be saved. That is problematic, that is unbiblical, that's not true. And so we spend a lot of our time trying to convince people that their works can't save them. And that's a good thing because their works can't save them, right? But there is another danger. And this is the danger that James is addressing. And that is the danger of the person who says, all I need is faith and I have faith. But there's no evidence that that faith is real. There's nothing that's happened in that person's life. And as much as we might love to to bang the drum of it's by faith alone, grace alone, that you need salvation by faith without your works, and that's true, and we do need to hit that drum, we also need to say to people who call themselves Christians, listen, there should be some evidence of this. If you have been made into a new creature, if the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence of you, inside of you, if you're born again, There is, there should be, there will be evidence of that. And if there's no evidence of that, then there's no evidence that you're saved. That that there's no evidence that your faith is real. That it's possible to have a, a, a version of faith that is not saving faith. So that is what he is concerned with. That's what he's stressing. And he seems quite upset because this must be a problem he's had in the past. And so what he does is he provides two examples for us. Once again, we need to work our way through these examples and compare Scripture with Scripture to make sure we get the the doctrine right. So he says in verse 21, Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. The Scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. He starts and he asks a question. Was Abraham justified by works? Good question. Seems like he's getting to that the answer is yes. But then he goes on and he asks another question. I think this, the second question is qualifying his first question. Do you see how faith was active along with his works and that his works completed or perfected his faith? Do you see how those two things worked together in Abraham's life and both were present? And how that is what brought about his justification? And then in verse 23, so he's making this argument, which, which most of us immediately bristle at, right? Isn't that true? When we first read those verses, we go, ooh, how's he going to explain this one, right? But then in verse 23, 
he seems to almost provide his own counter-argument. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. I mean, is James just not really coherent with his own doctrine? Or is it possible that all of this does work together in harmony, and we just have to figure out how that works together in harmony? Because in verse 23, he says, the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, right? So his belief was the, the cause for his righteousness, and that is a direct quote from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which says, and he believed in the Lord, and it, w- it was counted unto him for righteousness. So then he says that, and then he provides a summary statement that says, man is justified by works and not by faith only. And we go, okay, James, like, what? What are you trying to say? And we will remain completely confused until we remember that he is not arguing against faith. He's not trying to provide an argument against faith and for works. He's trying to provide an argument against a faith claim apart from works. That's what he's concerned about, and that's what he's arguing against. And if we make the object of his argument, faith, then we think he's trying to tear down a belief in faith for salvation. He's trying to tear down a belief that faith, a faith claim with no works is salvation. And so he's providing examples that demonstrate that people who have real faith have works that accompany that real faith. And so, in a sense, their faith is completed, it's made perfect, by those works, right? I mean, if, if Abraham had not done any of the things that he had done, would any of us have any reason to assume, assume he had faith? No. I mean, if, if, if Abraham did not believe God, and, and in believing God, follow him into the land of, the, into the promised land, if, if he had not believed God in that he would have a child, if he had not believed God in his willingness to offer Isaac on the altar, if he had not believed God and acted upon that belief, we would have no reason to believe he had faith. Do you know why we'd have no reason to believe he had faith? Because he didn't have faith. I mean, it is simple. Um, It's just we have to understand that faith can be present, and faith can be the, the cause of our salvation, but that doesn't mean that we have faith and there's never any, like, it's possible to have faith and never have any works. What he's saying is that's, that, that's, that part's not possible. If you have real faith, there has to be works. It, it has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, real faith doesn't exist. <clears throat> so, what he's saying is, if there was no works, would Abraham be justified by his belief alone? Okay. So think about this question for me. If there was no works, would Abraham be justified by his faith alone? It's a trick question. If there were no works, Abraham did not have faith. So it's not a matter of whether he would be justified by his faith alone. It's a matter of whether he had faith in the first place. True saving faith. And he didn't. If he did, he would have had works, which he did. So... Some people will, will, instead of trying to explain this from James, will jump straight to Romans and say, well, look what Paul says in Romans. And I think it's important to do that because Romans does help clarify all these things. But what we need to recognize is James is concerned with the demonstration of faith, and Romans, and, and Paul in Romans, is concerned with the declaration of faith. And so in Romans, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 1, What shall we say then? 
that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he would have whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Paul answers the question, how is a person declared righteous by God? And the answer is faith. James answers the question, how is a person's faith demonstrated before man? The answer is works. And this is how they, they really do work together. And they work together beautifully. Under normal circumstances, how do you know that a person is alive? How do you know they're living? What do you look for? Heartbeat? Maybe a pulse? Maybe a response to stimuli? You know, something like standing up and moving around would be pretty good evidence that they're, that they're alive, right? Um, does the response to stimuli create life in them? No. The life is already there. The response is a result of the life in them. And that is what he's trying to get across. Works is a response to the faith that is in true believers. Without works, true saving faith is not present. Abraham's belief was inward. His belief is evidenced by the faith that over and over again, he believed God, he trusted in God, and so then he worked. He was declared righteous by his faith alone, but he demonstrated his, he was righteous by his works, which made his faith complete. Alistair Begg said it this way, and then we'll move on. He said, Paul is arguing that works are of absolutely zero value in bringing a person into relationship with God. James is arguing that where such a relationship has been established, works are an essential evidence. Verse 25, example number two. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. So you know the story, right? Two spies come from Israel. They're coming into the city of Jericho, a strongly fortified city. It has a huge wall. It is nearly impenetrable. It's really a question of how are they ever going to get in here? How are they ever going to um, have any kind of victory? There, There seems to be no human way. And they decide that the best hideout is a harlot's house. Nobody will expect them there, right? And so, somehow, someone knows that they're in the city. And some soldiers come to Rahab's door, and Rahab had heard about the God of Moses. She had heard that he was the God who freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. She had heard that he was the God who delivered um, victory for the Israelites over and over again. And so, when her earthly king asks her to hand over the spies, instead she hides them, And she sends the soldiers on a wild goose chase. And I can just imagine her saying, run, go. I think they went that way. If you run, you can catch them. I know you you look like strong, good runners. You could catch them, right? So she sends them away. 
She hid them. She told the soldiers she did not know where they went, um, but that if they run, they could catch them. So in um, Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, it says, She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. So this is, this is where Rahab is. This is what her mind is like, and this is why she does what she does. First, she says to them, I know that your God has given you the land. In verse 10, she says, For we have heard how the Lord, and then she explains what the Lord has done to deliver his people in different circumstances. So we have heard that the Lord delivers his people. In verse 11, it says at the end of the verse, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Do you, you recognize here how much faith she has in this God? Right? In verse number 12, and you, he, or verse number 13, she asks that they will save alive her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, all that are in their house, and deliver their lives from death. So she's asking them for salvation and believing that their God can deliver them. She has incredible faith. And so what she does is an evidence of her faith. It's not that her works saved her, right? It's not because she did these things she was saved, although the fact that she did those, these things was evidence of what she believed about God and how she believed God would act. It sounds to me like Rahab had an incredible faith in God, and faith prompted her response. Hebrews 11.31 confirms this. It says, By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. Why? Because she believed by faith. So now James concludes his whole argument in verse 26. He says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is the message of James in a nutshell. You can have a body without all, with all the necessary parts for life, but without the spirit, all you have is a dead body. You can state beliefs with all the right words. Without works, that claim to faith is dead. So basically, it doesn't matter what you would answer on the test. It matters if your heart has repented and trusted in God for salvation. That's what matters. Do you have real saving faith? And so our text tonight does two things for us. First, it makes a doctrinal point, and second, it makes a practical application through examples. And so what is the doctrinal point? I don't want to belabor this because I feel like I've tried to make it over and over again, but the point that he's making is that there is a true experience of faith and there is a false experience of faith. If our claim to faith is not accompanied by works, we do not possess saving faith. Saving faith is not mental assent to doctrinal principles. It is not intellectual acceptance of facts about the gospel. Saving faith is seeing our desperate need of Christ, seeing that we are lost and helpless and hopeless in ourselves, and seeing that there is a great Savior who died to pay for our sins. And once we see those things and feel those things, once those things are more than just, just words on paper, but they're, they're real and they're for us, and we call out to God to save us, that's saving faith. 
just believing in the right things about God, that's not. Right? I mean, we've all heard the chair analogy. You can describe a chair incredibly well, but you're not trusting the chair until you sit in it. And true saving faith is sitting in the chair. The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And so we ought to be abundantly clear that it is faith that saves, not works. But the Bible is also clear here in James that faith without works is dead. And so there is a kind of faith that is not saving faith. So I want that doctrinal point to be clear. I don't... So I've been in places and I've seen people who... It seems like because they're so concerned that we don't add anything to, to faith, that they run so far away from what the Bible says about the, the necessary evidence of faith. We ought not be those people, right? Let's try and hold intention all of what the Bible says. The Bible talks about faith being the only way, right? Sola fide, absolutely. The Bible also talks about that real faith changes us, that there will be evidence. We've got we to gotta, we proudly state both of those things. That's the doctrine. Here is the practical points of application, and for this we turn to our examples. Here we have two examples that are given. Abraham, the father of all Judaism, and Rahab, the harlot. Isn't it crazy that to make the same point, the two people that James chooses is like the most respected man in all of Judaism. Like, you're not going to get better than Abraham, the father of faith. (laughs) And then Rahab, the woman who is a Gentile harlot. You couldn't go to two extremes. You couldn't go further to two extremes. I mean, he, he does this, and he does this, I think, for a really important point. Because what did both of these people have in common? Faith in God. Genuine faith in a God who saves. Right? They stated, Abraham believed God. By faith, the harlot Rahab. So, how do we know that what was stated about their belief was true? That both of them had faith that was demonstrated by their works. So we see that both of these people professed faith, they had faith, they believed in God, knew they needed salvation from God, and both of them lived that out. They acted as though they believed that. It's true about both of them, though they're so different. And now we look at their works. And though they're so different, we find that neither one of them were sinless. Abraham started as Abraham, a pagan idolater, Throughout his whole life, he struggled with lying. Pastor mentioned that this morning. Rahab was a Gentile prostitute, an idolater, and probably many other things. It doesn't seem like there's any reason to justify either of these people on their keeping of any kind of law, on their general goodness. We look at their lives and we'd say, yeah, it kind of looks like us a little bit. They were sinners. We also find that they both acted in faith on God's character rather than their circumstances. And so this is where it gets a little bit practical for us. What does it mean to act in faith? 
And I think that concept is great, and we all like it. We all say, yeah, absolutely, I want to act in faith. I want you know, God to show me something great, and then I'll just like jump on that. But acting in faith is often, or is, is always, acting when the circumstances seem to indicate something different, right? That's what faith is. If, it, if that wasn't faith, it would be sight. So if we could see the end from the beginning, we would not be required to have faith. We would just see that we would do. But faith is saying, God, I'm going to trust your character, though my circumstances seem opposed to what you've asked me to do. So though your word seems like it might not help me the way I want it to, it might not lead to the conclusion that I hope for, I'm going to trust who you are. And this happens to us every single day. We're always making decisions about God's character and God's goodness, and should I follow God's plan, or should I follow what makes sense to me? Should I follow my flesh? Should I follow what the world tells me is going to bring success or joy or happiness or or any of those things? Every day, we're making decisions that require faith. And can I tell you something? Every day, all of our decisions are decisions of faith. We're putting our faith in X to bring us joy or in God to bring us joy, right? We're putting our faith in our circumstances and what we see and what makes sense to us, or we're putting our our faith in what God says and who God is and what what is true according to him. And... This, some days, may be easier than others. I think when we're confronted with serious problems in our life, I, I think of the problems that people in our church are going through right now. I can't imagine. I feel like there's been like a few times in my life where I felt so completely out of control. And most of those times are the times that it's, it's the hardest. It, it's kids that are sick. It's, it's difficulty that you don't know. You don't see the end from the beginning, Right? And in those times, we trust the character of God over our circumstances. That's faith. So if we're going to be living in faith, what Abraham, what Rahab did, they didn't trust their circumstances. Otherwise, Rahab would have been smart to, to hand them over to the king. Right? I mean, she took a huge risk. She could have been killed for going against the king, for helping the spies. What about Abraham? willing to give his son's life? That's faith. He took a huge risk. He was willing to sacrifice the life of his son because he believed. Two very different characters. but Both of them had incredible faith. Both of them had action that went along with what they said. And those actions require sacrifice, and that's going to be true of our faith as well. But in both of their circumstances, the reward was worth it. Both were delivered. Isaac was delivered. Rahab's family and her were saved. Now we, we sing their praises. I mean, we, we talk about how amazing they were. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, both of them are recorded in the, in the chapter, the hall of faith, right? And what's true about both of them, it's not that they were just so amazing, so better than we could ever be. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 actually isn't a chapter that's supposed to exalt certain people. What Hebrews chapter 11 does is it shows these people actually followed God and time and time and again, God proved himself faithful. So what Hebrews chapter 11 does is it exalts God's faithfulness in the lives of of all those people. And we see God being faithful to all of these people, right? And so God was faithful to Abraham. God was faithful to Rahab. And when we exercise faith in God, even when our circumstances seem bleak and dim and difficult, 
God is faithful. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so both are found in the hall of faith. And most importantly, both are now a part of the family of God in heaven. Can you imagine Rahab introducing herself to Abraham? The same boat, right? I think it's going to be an incredible thing when we get to heaven. We get to meet some of these characters. We get to, to hear about their stories. We get to see what failures they really are and what an amazing God that we all have. God's ability to save sinners is it's amazing. It's incredible. And as we read these stories, we certainly don't want to make the human beings and their faith the heroes. We want to make God the hero. And so for any person that's here tonight, and you don't know that Christ is your Savior, you don't know that, that if you were to die, you would go to heaven because Jesus has paid it all in your place. Can I tell you something? <laughs> you will never go wrong putting your faith in Christ. He is faithful. He is great. He is an incredible Savior. And there is no person outside of the realm of his ability to save. No, no person outside of his um, showing grace. And we see that throughout Scripture. If you're a person who is saved, and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then the faith that you have ought to be demonstrated every day of our lives. So where do we stand on this matter of faith? Do we just say, I have it? Well, everybody has it. Everybody has faith in something. Right? The question is, is your faith in Christ changing you? And so do you possess faithing, saving faith in Jesus Christ? If not, you can. And you can tonight. And if you do, then you ought to long to express that faith every day. And with the help of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. I mean, God is working in us to do these things. But we don't, we're not set on this journey alone, right? God is there to help us every step of the way to put our faith into action. So we must act upon God's character and the circumstances we're in and demonstrate our faith before the people we are around every day. Let's pray.